Hello, everyone, and welcome to Hayes' Higher Learning. My name is Ashley Hayes, and I am so excited. This episode is part of my new series called So You Want to Be a Poet. And in this series, we explore um, poetry as a career and the different ways that it can look like in our lives. A lot of people ask me, you know, Ashley Hayes, how do you do poetry for a living? Um, Can I make a living off of it? And I often tell people there's so many ways to be a poet and so many ways to approach this career, either part-time or full-time. So today I am talking to an amazing poet from North Carolina, Mia Willis. Mia S. Willis is a Black performance poet from Charlotte, North Carolina. Mia's poem, Hedicomb, won the 2018 Foothill Editor's Prize and earned nominations for 2018 Pushcart Prize, as well as for inclusion in Best New Poets 2018. Mia was also named a 2019 Lambda Literary Fellow in Poetry, as well as the 2019 Young Artist Fellow at Shah Shamaz Shah North Residency in Pine Plains, New York. Their debut poetry collection, Monster House, was the 2018 winner of the Cave Canem Foundation's Toy Dare Coat and Cornelius Edie Chatbook Prize and is available now with JLI Books. Connect with me on Facebook at Twitter at Poet in the Hat. And without further ado, please welcome Mia S. Willis to Hayes' Higher Learning. Mia, how are you? I'm so good, Ashley Hayes. I'm so excited to be here. I'm so excited to have you here. I have had the joy of being a part of your poetry journey for the past few years and also just watching you blossom and watching you win these awards and knock folks on upside the head with your work. And it has been a joy. And I'm so grateful you have joined me today. It's absolutely all love, Ashley. Obviously, you are a a hometown hero here in Atlanta. So anything I can do to to hold you up, I want to do for you. I appreciate that. So um, it's a very interesting time in the world. And although um, it's important for me that Hayes Attire Learning also explore joy and explore what we need in our day-to-day lives, I don't want to in any way ignore what is also happening politically in this climate. Um, Mia, would you mind talking a couple minutes? How is this affecting you? How are you feeling? about the riots, about COVID. I know it's heavily affecting. Do you want, do you have any thoughts you'd like our listeners to know, any views that you'd love for them to know that you have? Oh, for sure. Um, I have always been um, ready to act in times of urgent justice. Uh, I think that our, we owe it to our heritage as Black people in this country to answer the call of that history, answer the call of individuals who have come before us and acted before us. And so um, I don't think any poem that I write could not be against the police. Uh, I don't think any poem mm. that I write could not be uh, against the marginalization of legislation. Um, I don't think that any poem I write could in somehow not express the, the complexity of Black material conditions. Um, but I also understand that my poem doesn't change those material conditions simply by existing. Um, mm. I have to, I have to do more than write. I have to act. I have to organize. I have to, uh, fund bail support. I have to educate people online. I have to educate people in my community circles, um, however I can, because that is also part of the work. That's also uh, a very important front on the revolution too. So, um, this time has really focused me, I would say. I, my, my interests have never been keener. 
My passions have never been clearer. Uh, and I have never felt more affirmed in the reading and research that I have done uh, in my positions than I have kind of in recent times. And, and so I've, I've been directing my efforts to police abolition and to prison abolition, uh, both here in Atlanta and on the national level, the, the demilitarization of police and things like that. All of those causes are very close to me um, because I, I do believe that none of us will be free unless all of us are free. So Mm. So that's uh, that's really where I'm coming from. I, I'm I'm ready to build something better, and I hope other folks are too. Mm, and I like this ethics that you pushed on, where our art doesn't stop at the page. That's a starting point. That's you know therapy, catharsis. That's for us and for others. But our art, um, for me, art is activism, and I hear that a lot in your viewpoints, where you know we've got to show up and do work outside of just fitting the poems. Um, so I certainly appreciate that. And I'm sure my listeners will. So Mia, talk to me about your poetry background. Where are you? I know you're from North Carolina. Um, how? <laughs> so is that where you started poetry? Because like for me, I'm from Chicago, but I didn't even start um, my poetry until I got to Atlanta. So what, what's your kind of background there? Well, I actually became a poet uh, in college. I went to college at East Carolina University in Greenville, North Carolina. Go Pirates. Uh, okay. uh, that, that is, listen, I'm, I'm a pirate born and bred, unfortunately. It's, it's a, a sad indoctrination of the system, but I, <laughs> but, but I, I became a poet at East Carolina University. Um, shout out to East Carolina Word of Mouth, the poetry organization at that, that university that really took me in and grew me as an artist, as an, as an individual, as an activist uh, in, in a really formative time in my life. So um, I went to one open mic my freshman year of college at ECU, and I never left. Um, I kept uh, going back and sharing poems and, and going to organization meetings and eventually got involved in the, the leadership of the organization and competing at the College Union's Poetry Slam Invitational for, for several years. And so I've been a competitive actor for several, several years, um, <laughs> poet for several years. Uh, and so it's kind of just ingrained in me, this, this desire to create and this desire to uh, produce work. Mm, have you ever um, dabbled in any other forms? Have any other forms spoken, you, spoken to you the way poetry has? Um, I would say the only other form that speaks to me in the way poetry does is music. Um, mm. I uh, have actually just started making beats, making lo-fi hip-hop, making um, kind of chill-hop beats. And... I don't really, I can't really explain the kind of kinetic energy that I feel uh, when I, when I experience a, a very prime dance hall beat or when I, when I, you know, Afro beats kind of washes over me, you know, I can't really explain the way that my skin calls out to that sound. And so that's, that's the, the only other medium for me that I would say kind of moves me in the way that words and poetry do. Yes, and I will be ready whenever that. I'm very excited. <laughs> I'm, I'm just an old man in the basement right now, but we go, we go the sounds, and we gonna see what to do. <laughs> Love to see it, though. Love to see it. So this series is about poetry as a career, the ways that we can, to be frank, monetize it, but also, and the different ways we can be artists, whether that's full-time or part-time. Is poetry your primary source of income? 
Uh, it is not, actually. Poetry is a supplementary source of income for me. Um, I work the other part of my time at the Atlanta History Center, organizing uh, youth programs, volunteer programs. Uh, and so mm -hmm. uh, largely because I have been able to sustain myself. Um, I also worked for uh, Alexis Yonde, who is a, a history educator online. Uh, you may be familiar with her work if you're on Twitter. She's at Lectual. Uh, she's a, a sex worker who does history education through Lectual Media. And so I worked for her a little bit uh, during the past year doing some research and education. Um, but primarily my source of income is history education and uh, history research and activism. That's really where I, I my bread is likely buttered. Okay. Is that fulfilling work to you? Oh, absolutely. Um, it is fulfilling. Um, it is exhausting. It is um, righteous and also God-sized uh, in that mm. I feel often that uh, I am making a world of difference and I feel often equally as often that I feel I'm making no difference at all. Um, mm. so it is a, a situation where I have to believe as, as Angela Davis says, I have to believe that one person can change the world and I have to believe it all the time. So, you know, mm. really, it's a really hard, uh, position to be in, um, as a, as a black queer history educator, particularly in this time of urgency, uh, and living in Atlanta, which is one of, uh, uh, the most segregated cities in terms of, uh, economic disparity in the country. Um, so it's, it's a hard place to occupy, but I, I'm honored and blessed to do that work because I, I recognize that others may not do it well and may not do it with the intent to change. And, and so I, I honor the, the work and also glorify the rest. <laughs> ooh, ooh, look, listen, okay. And there is so much work and that's why I thought you'd be dope to talk to because a lot of people have this this idea that if I'm not a full-time poet, then I'm not a poet at all. And I love the fact that you not only make time for it as a career, but you also prioritize your creative art, even with giving your time to other equally important endeavors and to other work that also brings you passion. Um, would you say you've always felt that way? Like, did you always know that you could, you know, do poetry and come back to it? What has that relationship been like? Because I know for myself, I had moments where I was like, you know, am I even a poet if I'm not, you know, touring all the time? How has that worked as far as like creating identity through your art? I would say I come from a place of extreme privilege because I came to poetry in academia. So I came to poetry... Mm. Um, as a hobby, as, as an extracurricular activity that was encouraged on my campus, but that was never something um, that was centered in terms of my career goals uh, long term. Hmm. Um, I, I got my degrees at East Carolina in um, anthropology and classical civilization. So I am uh, a, a Roman archaeologist, effectively, by training. Um, Ooh. so yeah, so yeah, right. So that's, that's what I got, you know, that's what I was setting off in the direction to change the world in, um, poetry was just a way for me to render the incomplete feelings that anthropology mm. was, was arising in me. Um, it was a way to, uh, better answer or with more nuance answer the questions that I felt like anthropology and classics were 
incapable of answering because of their classism, because of their racism, because of their sexism, um, and because of their homophobia. So, yeah. you know, I guess I, I will say that um, I am, like I said, privileged in that I went to college and I did, quote unquote, find myself in the very stereotypical sense that people say they find themselves. Mm-hmm. I really find who I was supposed to be. And that was always a social scientist um, with an ear for social justice, with a heart for social justice, but also a social science artist, someone who uh, directs my passionate energy into creative uh, avenues. Um, too often, social mm-hmm. science is, is a tool to tell you what's wrong, but not how to fix it. Um, and so I would... I, I was called to art because I wanted to heal the hurt that social science was showing me. Wow. I need to even sit with this because I'm a philosopher. And of course, I when I tell people that, I'm like, I already know. Like, I already know what <laughs> kind of thoughts have already rolled. <laughs> yeah, I'm right. a major. But you touch, and so... I want, I want to adjust this language, right? I don't believe we find ourselves. I believe we return to ourselves, that we are always who we are and that we reveal ourselves to ourselves or we are made aware um, of our existence and what that means. And I think that I am so proud of you because you're one of the people who I admire who say, my life isn't one way. You know, I'm an artist and a scientist. I am a person who is in the history and in academia, but also very much aware of my existence as a marginalized person. And I value that so, so much. Um, what do you wish you had known before exploring poetry as a career, even as a subsidized career? Um, I wish that I knew um, that I could find poetry in anything. I wish I knew Mm. that I did not have to further marginalize myself as a Southern poet or as a quote unquote slam poet in order to be palatable to uh, the people I was trying to reach. Um, I, I wish that I had known that palatability does not lead to comfort. Um, I wish that I had known that I could be exactly who I am, that I, I would not have to change anything that I say or the way that I say it in order to cultivate the right people around me. Um, I, I wish that people were more honest about that, about, about the fact that the industry, yes, may be more, re- quote unquote, more ready to receive poets that don't come up in the academy, but also, you know, it does consistently stifle their voices. And so we should con- continue uh, to let them know that they are cultivating true audiences, loyal audiences, exactly where they are and with exactly what they're saying. I hope if you're listening, you take that with you. You can cultivate community and audience exactly where you're, where you are, and that give me that palatability. Yeah, would you say palatability is not even? No, I, I don't. I've tried the palatability. I I tried to go to graduate school and be an archaeologist and do the kind of straight and narrow that people are supposed to do. And I realized very quickly that I was not made for that. I was not made to be in an Mm. ivory tower when I know people are starving in the street. So I was, I was not made for that. And, and when I know that people who look like me um, across time and space have always been the people starving in the street, my access to the ivory tower does not change their material conditions. 
So I owe it to them to go back and better the street, not better the tower. So where I'm from, we would normally pass an <laughs> offering plate at this moment. <laughs> a podcast. <laughs> Um, I'm so glad. I'm so glad. <laughs> and I hope, um, I would love for you all to leave me a message at Hazel's Higher Learning or leave me a message and let them know what you think about these ethics. Because it sounds like an ethical proposition and it is the type of ethical proposition that I think we need more of and more awareness of because I think, you know, as Black artists to talk about our privilege in spaces, Right. I tell people, you know, I show up often and I think that it's a privilege to even communicate in a way that people understand, which is not to say (laughs) that anyone else's communication or language should not be worked to understand. And that's the issue I have. Right. Like it's not for me to make you comfortable. It's for you to to get where I'm coming from and for you to listen to these voices. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And, and to acknowledge that and say, Hey, my folks, um, I'm still here. I'm still black. Right. I'm still black at the board meeting. I'm still, you know, woman and femme and I'm still all of these things. And I still owe it to people as a servant, as a public servant, as an artist, um, to amplify those voices and tell those stories and to be careful with them. Um, and that is supremely dope to me. What are your short and long-term goals oh in poetry? Well, short-term goals. Um, I have a full-length poetry book that I am trying to get published. Uh, it is done. Um, I spent most of 2019 working on it. So I have spent most of this year shopping it to publishers and, and various places. Um, so I would really love for that to get out in the world because it is a really special piece of my heart. Um, I uh, really only just started identifying as non-binary, only started identifying as as trans kind of fully and fully in the last year, 18 months. And so this book mm-hmm. is so special because it is an excavation of that non-binary identity, of that kind of straddling of genders in the Black Southern tradition. Um, and to fall in mm-hmm. love with this body again in a new way. Um, so short-term goals, definitely I want that out in the world because that is my, my book baby in the highest form. Um, I would say long-term goals, I want, uh, to, I want to be the poet uh, similar to Nikki Giovanni and James Baldwin that the people turn to, Black people turn to. Mm-hmm. Um, in times of trouble and in times of joy. Um, it, it really spoke to me that a friend of mine asked their Twitter timeline for their favorite poems by Black poets. And all the non-Black accounts brought tombstones, brought these heavy, sad poems about Blackness, about Black experience. And only the Black Twitter users brought flowers, brought these beautiful, brought these Mm. beautiful poems about joy, about faith, about love. And so I want, I want to be the flower that someone brings to, uh, to the space. You know, I I want to be that individual um, poet and, and to write that poem for someone. Uh, That's, that's probably my long-term career goal. I'm not really interested in, in money. I'm an anti-capitalist proudly, so I'm not really interested in money. Um, I'm not really interested in the clout. Uh, I'm not really interested in institutions. 
Um, I, I don't do what I do for the glory of institutions. I do what I do for the glory of my people so that they remember me right. So, you know, that's, that's really the, the long-term career goal is to be well-remembered by, by my people, by Black people, by Black queer people. And what a desire to have. And what a tangible desire to have. Where I come from, the organ would be <laughs> right now and people would be in the aisles. <laughs> but we're not doing that But what a goal to have and what a thing to reach for. Does your baby have a name that you are comfortable um, I will. I will keep her name uh, confidential right now because it actually is in flux. So I will. I will keep her quiet for now. Okay. But but you will see her soon. <laughs> I'm excited. What are you most proud of so um, far? Nina? I would say I am most proud of getting my grandmother to read a poetry book. Um, I listen. My grandmother is from Eastern North Carolina. Is from Hertford County, North Carolina. Um, Ahoski is a town, is a retirement town. It's a, a one of the poorest counties in North Carolina. And my grandmother really didn't jive all that well with poetry because it, it wasn't utilitarian for her in the way that uh, she was brought up to believe literature should be. Um, and so my grandma read my poetry book and then my grandma read other people's poetry books. And now my grandma so, you know, it's a, it's a thing where like, you know, I can be so proud of not only having an impact on people my age, on people that are living now, but I'm also impacting like my kinfolk, like people who are so close to me, who never would have seen the world the way they see it now were it not for me existing. And, and that is enough to make me proud. That is enough to make me want to keep going. Enough to make anyone <laughs> proud. I think. I think um, any position we have, and you know, to educate the elders or to just offer them an alternative vantage point. And I think that there's a privilege in having elders who are acceptance to it too, who are open and who receive that. Um, that is so supremely dope to me, and I'm so glad <laughs> that my listeners got the chance to hear. Um, another story and viewpoints. I'm so grateful for you being here. I would be remiss if I did not at least <laughs> invite you to offer a piece of two, piece or two um, to the people. If you're interested, um, the theme that I most would like poets to explore this season is justice. I think that we are now pursuing justice on a global level. Um, we are revolting to the empire. Um, we are seeking and demanding the abolishment of police. What does that justice look like in your work? And would you mind sharing <laughs> sure. um, I would say justice in my work looks like um, a world without fear. Justice in my world looks like a world that is a world rooted in community um, is rooted in trust and integrity of that community. Um, and I would say also justice is black. Like I'm black. Justice is black. It's always going to be black for me. So, so that's kind of the mm -hmm. begin and the end of that. Uh, uh, the, the Black Panthers were, were Marxists, were leftists, were, were people who were committed to change. 
And so for me, justice will always be synonymous with that forward thinking, uh, uh, high ordered community learning and, and orientation. Um, I, I will, I will a poem with you or two poems with you, Ashley Hayes, because I care deeply about you. Um, and I want you to, to get, and <laughs> Listen, I, I want you to get this work because I want you to be proud of me also. You know, you're, you're, you're definitely an elder uh, in terms of my experience and somebody that I seek to, to earn the approval of. And so I, I try to read my poems in front of you as often as possible so I can see how they are. <laughs> I like, you're a good test audience. You let me know what's what. Um, I yeah. so don't mind. I'm so do not. not. <laughs> um, so this poem, this first poem I'm going to share uh, is one that I wrote while I was on my residency in Pine Plains, New York. Um, it's called A Descriptive Grammar About Gender. A. Boy, B-O-Y, and boy, B-O-I, are homophones, distinguishable only by their context. Example. Police officer to my father. Where are you coming from, boy? Example. Lover's hand to my cheek. Where are you coming from, boy? B. The sequence of sounds trans is both a prefix and adjective that appears before the word it describes. Example. The Swahili name for the transatlantic slave trade is the ma'afa. The catastrophe. Example, there is no Swahili word for transgender. There was no need to name the sources of the salt in the seawater before the catastrophe. C. Femme, F-E-M-M-E, and femme, F-E-M, are homophones, distinguishable only by their context. Example, diamonds are a femme's best friend. Example, my femme is a home for the bloodiest hands, for those interested in testing their strength against the diamond and the rough that refuses to give her up. D, lexical semantics demonstrate that body and gender are historically synonymous. Example, this is my body, which is given for you. Example, for my gender is true food. <laughs> that's, that's a little something that I put together, you know, as I, obviously I um, came up Southern Baptist. So I've, I'll, there will be heavy allusion to Baptist Christianity, but I also, I'm not currently uh, a Baptist practitioner. I, I converted to Zen Buddhism in college. So, uh, so I'm a, a Rinzai Zen practitioner. So that's, that is my kind of chosen religious life way. So that also shows up a lot in my work. Uh, allusions to Zen uh, uh, appear often. Um, I I will close kind of with my my favorite poem that I've written recently. It's it's honestly uh, one of my favorite pieces to do on tour or read anywhere because everybody has so much fun with it. Uh, it uh, is about a specific happening uh, that occurred in the end of last year, um, and maybe you might have heard of it. On December 7th, 2019, Georgian performance artist David DeTuna entered the Art Basel Miami exhibition. 
removed an artwork valued at $120,000 from the gallery wall and ate it. This is an ode to the hungry artist, the parable of the great banquet. Mere days after we paid our respects to Chairman Fred, we sat on the stoop slack-jawed as a man ate a $120,000 banana, shook our heads and mused that the hunger's gonna kill us first. 60-second science class in the self-checkout. Appetite, like energy, cannot be lost, only change its form. So when my stomach, I mean pockets, are empty, I bite the Armani-gloved hand that feeds me. Question. If the ancestors were sharecroppers living in Eden on credit, what was the price of the apple? Question. If we still have not tired of tilling the fields without tasting the fruit, what is the value of our heads? In the year of our Lord, 2019, Jesus walked into a brightly colored spectacle, peeled forbidden yield, let teeth break skin into bleeding, performed a miracle, then smiled as centurions led him away from shocked public. Peace so still, it shows the cruelty in starving, commands its witnesses to go forth, multiply. <laughs> I get ripped every time I hear that poem. Every single time I'm like, what a privilege. <laughs> what an outrage. Absolutely. Thank you so, so much for joining me, Mia. Y'all can find Mia on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter at Poet in the Hat, P-O-E-T-I-N-T-H-E-H-A-T. You will also um, see quotes from Mia on the Hayes' Higher Learning Instagram page. Would love it if you would leave a message on Anchor. If you have any feedback, um, any praise for Mia or their work, um, would love to hear it. You know where to find me at Hayes' Higher Learning, um, Hayes' Higher Learning at ashleyhayes.com. Um, you can just Google it. You can find it. Thank you, Mia. And Mia, I usually give my folks a song of the week and I'm sure I should give you a little more notice but as my guest I would love for you to offer oh my song of the week I don't know let's see Ashley Hayes I think that the song of the (laughs) week is probably probably Smino's tempo I think I think that's probably where I'm at this week is is nice and and heavy, but also you know light. We're we're bouncing along the sidewalks. You know we're we're ready for the change to come and lift us up. Hey, I love me some Smino. Okay, Smino to do very to be. <laughs> so the song of the week is Tempo by Smino. Thank you so much for tuning into Hayes's Higher Learning. Where together we are learning better, doing better, and being better. I will see you all next week. Thank you so much and have an awesome week.